Welcome to The Joe Show, a podcast that has real conversations with real people about topics that really matter to you. And now your podcast host, Joe Amaral. Thank you so much for joining me today. And what I'm going to do is something a little bit differently. I was going through some archives that I had, and a while back I was um, on staff as a teaching pastor, and we did a series called Signs. And that kind of became the base, all the studying that I had been doing for years up until that point, that became the base for what would eventually become my book, Story in the Stars. And I'm just, I'm hoping that as you as you hear this message today, this is the audio that I, I took from the video. So it, it's meant to be like in a, you know, in a church gathering. But I, I took it because out of the four that I did, I felt this is the one that translated best as a podcast. So... I want you to keep that in mind as you're hearing it. And so this information, this teaching that I did became the basis for a book I wrote called Story in the Stars. And I'm really hoping that as you hear the teaching today and as you as you begin to contemplate and consider the great lengths that God went to to get your attention by putting this incredible story in the stars, that you'll actually want to get a copy of that book. And so you can just pop onto a website of your, your favorite book reseller or go to joeamaral.org to our, our store, our online store section, and you can order it from us and get a signed copy. But no matter what you do, whether you get the book or not, or that, that doesn't matter. I'm just mentioning it because I know some people will, will want to get it. I hope that as you listen, that you'll really be able to get God's heart, how much he actually does love you, and the incredible lengths he went to, so that you would know, no matter where you live in space and time, no matter where you live in history, geographically, culturally, ethnically, it doesn't matter where you are, that you would be able to look up into the heavens and see the great promises that he has made and the way that he has declared and he has revealed his son Jesus to us as the savior and so I want you to enjoy today's podcast just really take it in it's going to really be challenging to a lot of you because I'm going to be talking about the zodiac and constellations and you're going to wonder what in the world is going on but take the time and if you got to rewind it that's okay pause it listen to it think about it check the verses that i mentioned don't just take my word for it go and make sure that i'm talking about them in context and i think that as you do it you will just be blown away by god's incredible love for you so please let's enjoy the message the closest star to us is called proxima centauri and it's a mere 4.22 light years away. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. It's about 40 trillion kilometers away from Earth. We're approximately 150 million kilometers from the sun, so that means that the nearest star to us is 300,000 times the distance from the Earth to the sun. In our current rocket speeds, it would take us approximately, listen to this, 78,000 years to get to the nearest star one way. There are over 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone, over 100 billion planets in the Milky Way, and over a trillion stars in the Andromeda Galaxy, which sits 2.5 million light years from us. And if we could travel at the speed of light, which is approximately 300 million meters per second, it would take us two and a half million years to get there. That's just one galaxy, and it's the closest one to us. And the Hubble Space Telescope estimates that there are about 100 million galaxies in the universe. But now new data suggests that number to be 10 times the amount, 1 trillion. 
And with four simple words, the God of creation put everything into motion. He started by saying, let there be light. <laughs> now, if you know me, you know I love space, exploration, telescopes, and I love science fiction. And I couldn't miss the opportunity to, quit my, to uh, quote my favorite TV show, Star Trek. And they say it best in their opening monologue. And Captain Kirk started off by saying, space is the final frontier. And the mission is to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to, you know this, to boldly go where no one has ever gone before. See, Barry even knows that. Come on. You see, when they did this, to, to travel throughout the universe and explore new planets, that seemed absolutely ridiculous. Well, last Saturday, just a week ago yesterday, my wife and I and a couple of our friends were at the Kennedy Space Center at Cape Canaveral in Florida at one of the NASA headquarters, and we got to stand underneath the rockets that went up into outer space, that went around the moon, that went up to the Hubble Space Telescope. It was absolutely amazing. And then what really struck me was when they were talking about NASA's next big mission, which is called Mission to Mars. And they told us that by the year 2030, there will be humans orbiting around Mars. Guys, that's 13 years from now. And they said a few short years after that, their goal is to have a man place his foot on Mars, on the planet's surface for the first time. And so we talk about the millions, the billions, and the trillions of stars and planets and galaxies that are out there, and we got to ask the question, why? Why is it all up there? And so there's the five W's about space, and it's the who, what, where, when, and why. Who created what we can and, and can't see? What's out there? Where will the journey actually take us if we were to go and explore? And when was it all created and how? And the most important one is why. Why does it exist? What purpose does it serve? And I believe that the answer to all those questions is the same answer. It's a one-word answer. The answer is God. He's the one who created it, and He created it for a purpose and with a purpose, and we're going to see in a few moments what that purpose is. And when God spoke those four words, let there be light, space and time was created, and the universe began to expand. And that light served as a great, great sign, and it gave way, and it became planets and stars and solar systems and galaxies. You know, we're not the only people to wonder about these celestial signs, to wonder about why are they in the sky? Do they point to something? And if they do, what are they pointing to? Did you know that the Bible is actually filled with verses that talk about space, that talk about planets, that talk about stars, and the fact that they are signs? There's a lot of verses, but for me, the most powerful one and the most significant one was actually made by Jesus Himself. And this kind of freaks people out when you say that Jesus talked about constellations in the Bible, that He talked about stars and planets. We think, that was 2,000 years ago. Do they even know about these things? Let me take you to a verse. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus is setting up His great conversation about the end times. 
And he's giving us all these signs that we can look for at the end to know that his coming is near, to know that the age is coming to an end. And in verse 8 of chapter 21, he replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my my name claiming that I am the Messiah. And he proceeds to talk about all these signs that are going to come into place. And if we don't understand the times, we could be misled in serving the wrong Messiah. And he said, these are the signs to know that it's actually me. And so in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, he says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And maybe you read that verse and you wondered, what in the world does that mean? What did Jesus mean when He said there would actually be signs in the heavens made up of suns, moons, and stars? Well, according to Jesus, God created these to serve as signs. And the first thing we want to talk about creation this morning is this, that it was, in fact, God who created the universe And you need to understand this, that God created the universe on purpose. He created it with a purpose, and He created it for a purpose. And that purpose is you. That purpose is you. God created the universe with you in mind. The purpose is the person sitting beside you. The purpose is the person who's watching this maybe online. The purpose of creation is the person you meet at the grocery store, the person you work with, the person walking their dog in your neighborhood. God created the universe with a purpose for everyone here that's in this room. And so the heavens serve as a sign that they they might remind us of God's great love for us. You're going to hear a statement I'm going to make today. And throughout the next four weeks, every Sunday, you're going to hear it and you're going to say, okay, we get it. Good. I want you to get it. This is the statement, the thesis statement that I've built all these messages around, and it's this, God loves you on purpose. Say it out loud. God loves you on purpose. You see, He went to great lengths to make sure that you knew how much He loved you. He created and He arranged the universe in such a way that you would be able to see the message of His love for you written in the stars. And so the entire sky serves as a sign for us. The entire sky, the heavens and everything in it serves as a sign for you. There are a lot of signs in this world. Look at this picture and you're going to see signs up here that you've, you've seen before. There's dozens of them. There's hundreds of different kinds of signs, and you passed them, several of them, on your way into the service this morning. You would have seen stop signs, speed signs, street signs, traffic signs, all kinds of signs, and you didn't even notice that they were there because you got so used to seeing them. You knew they were there, but you didn't pay attention. And for all the different kinds of signs, for the hundreds of signs, both here in Canada and around the world that you see every day, they can be broken down into two basic groups, and they're as follows. There are objective signs, which we're going to define, and then there are subjective signs. Now, what does it mean to have an objective sign or perspective? Well, it's one that's not influenced by emotions. By opinions, personal feelings, it's a perspective based in fact and things that are quantifiable and measurable, okay? That's an objective sign. 
Now, a subjective sign is one that's great, um, open to greater interpretation based on personal feelings, emotions, and aesthetics. Now, some of you are looking at me and you're saying, why are you mentioning this? Let, let me give you uh, an example to help prepare us as we move into the signs that God has created. So here's the first example. The speed sign that's on the highway that says 100 kilometers per hour, 62 miles per hour for those of you who like miles, that is an objective sign. <laughs> it's not up for interpretation. And if you don't believe me, try to convince the police officer when he pulls you over. So he pulls you over and he says, well, do you know why I pulled you over this morning, sir? And he can say, well, you know, I, I saw the sign, but I didn't feel like it was, you know, totally speaking to me personally. You know, I know that for some people it's the right speed. I, I get that and I want to judge them for believing that. But I feel like I need to follow my own feeling about how fast I should be traveling. In fact, officer, I, I'm offended by that speed sign because I feel like the government and society are totally forcing its views and perspectives on me. And I should be allowed to choose what I want. So I don't feel like I, I have to obey the speed limit. I'm just not feeling it. Oh, really? You know what you're going to feel? <laughs> that big whopping ticket when he places it in your hand. <laughs> You see, because that sign is not subjective, it's objective. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. And you, you can't even blame the sign for not being clear about what it means. It's there, you know what it means, but you have to decide whether you're going to obey it or not. Let me give you another example. Stop sign. I say this all the time. I love being your teaching pastor. I love digging and researching and going into the meanings of stuff. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what language you speak. A stop sign in any country in the world, guess what it means? Stop. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if there's writing on it, if there's not writing on it. You see that shape, that octagon, and you see the color red, you know right away what it means. Whether you're traveling on vacation or you're going back home to visit your family, and that's the beauty of an objective sign. The meaning is clear. Well, then we have these subjective signs, and you also saw those coming in. Maybe some of you took the bus, and you're at the bus stop, and right there was the face of a happy real estate agent who wanted to sell you a house, right? That's subjective. You don't have to use that person, but they're saying you can if you want to. Some of you see vacation destinations. Come to Mexico, come to Cuba, come to these places. Again, it's just making a suggestion. It's not saying you have to go to these places. Maybe you saw a sign for a new restaurant or a new show that's coming out or a new movie. They're not mandatory, right? They're suggestive in nature. And so your response is based on your preferences and your desires. And that's why there's thousands of different restaurants, products, and movies. It's not a law. It's just a suggestion. Well, I would like to suggest, see what I did there, is that God's signs, His heavenly signs, are objective. They have a meaning, they have a purpose, and today we're going to talk about what they mean. They're not up for interpretation. They are clear, and they are absolutely absolute. Let's go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God kind of sets up His position 
on why he created the universe in the first place. And God said, let there be lights. And the lights he's talking about there are stars, they're planets, they're galaxies, the moon. God said, let there be these lights in the vault of the sky and let them separate the day from the night and let them serve as, what does it say? Let them serve as signs. And he said that these signs will do three things. They're going to mark sacred times, like important dates. They're going to mark days, and they're going to mark years. So what do these signs mark? They mark sacred times. The word in Hebrew there is the word moed, and it means specific or important date. Now, I believe that God created the universe, and we're going to see this, to point us towards His Son. So if these signs are to tell us about His Son, Jesus, who came as our Redeemer, then what are some of the important dates in the life of Jesus? What about the birth of the Savior of mankind? Is that an important date? Absolutely. And guess what? It was filled with astronomical activity. The infamous Bethlehem star, the wise men who came from the east, all of the things that happened that night, there was phenomenon in the sky the night he was born. So, God said the sun, moon, and stars are going to serve to mark sacred days, sacred times, days, and years. What device or what app do you have on your device right now, your smartphone, that you use to mark dates in it that are specific and that are important? What is it? A calendar. So in the most basic sense, the sky serves as a calendar, and if we know how to read the signs of the times, we can know what God is saying was going to happen when and where. It's absolutely amazing. There's a book in the Bible that mentions planets, constellations, and zodiacs by name. Did you know that? It's actually found in the book of Job. And Job is one of the oldest books in history, not just a religious book, but one of the oldest books. It's thousands of years old. And if you've been on our faith journey for a long time, you know the story of Job, right? You know what happened to him. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're just kind of tuning into it, and you're newer to the journey and you don't know specifically the story of Job. Let me give you the 90-second uh, the version or the 90-second story of Job. The Bible says that Job is a wealthy man, that he's God-fearing, he's righteous, and God has blessed him, and everything is going great. And the adversary, the Scripture says, the enemy goes to God and says, I know why Job serves you, because his life is perfect. But you throw a little bit of trouble his way, he will curse you and turn from you so fast. And so he's granted permission to go and wreak havoc in the life of Job. And in the matter of a day, he receives message after message disturbing messages saying that first his, his livestock has been decimated. That's basically somebody hacked into his bank account and stole all his money. That's what that would mean in that time. His servants were killed. His ten children have died. Just terrible news. And in the midst of it all, the Bible says that Job still worshiped God. But now in the midst of worshiping God, he had to make sure that God was actually who we said He was. Some of us have gone through a hard time. We'd say, okay, God, I know You, I love You, I trust You, but are You really like as, as powerful and as strong as You say You are? Are You just a God or are You like the God? And so Job has this conversation with God, and he said, I need to know, are You the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or are You just one of those gods? And God answers him with a bunch of these rhetorical questions. And Job 38 captures this conversation, and part of it he says, Job, where were you 
when I laid the foundations of the earth. Job, can you keep the, the oceans at bay? Can you? And he gives them all these rhetorical questions, the can you do this and can you do this? And then in chapter 38, verses 31 and 33, God says, can you direct the movement of the stars? Can you bind up the clusters of the Pleiades, or can you loosen or untie the, the cords or the belt of Orion? Can you direct the constellations? The Hebrew word is Maseroth. We're going to come to that. Can you direct the constellations through their seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the sky? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? So God says, am I trustworthy? He says, I created, named, and placed every star in the heavens. I caused them to operate on a daily basis to go through their seasons. Yes, Job, I got this. I got your life. I am trustworthy. And he talks about this thing called the Pleiades, and maybe you've heard of the Pleiades. It's a cluster of seven stars in the constellation of Taurus. It's beautiful. You can see it with binoculars. And then he talks about Orion's belt. You guys have heard of that one? The three stars up in the night sky, it's there right now. It's a winter constellation. Look to the southwest, it's there every night if there's no clouds. And God talks about these images that He painted, that He placed in the sky. You see, images can be used to tell a story. And whenever they find a, a cave that, that maybe is 5, 10, 15, 20,000 years old, you know what they find inside? Paintings. It's not writings they find, but they find the paintings. Why do they find, find paintings? Because you don't have to know the language to understand the sequence of pictures. Let me give you an example. This is very basic, but I think you're going to get it. What do they say? That a, a picture is worth how many words? A thousand words. Okay, here's an example. The first picture they see in a cave is a lion. Clear? Okay. Next picture is a man standing. Clear? The third picture is a lion covered in blood, and there's a pool of blood where the man was standing. What's the picture mean? Lion ate men. <laughs> Very simple. The pictures move the story along, and even if you don't know the words, you still can get the interpretation. God does the exact same thing with the constellations or what we call the zodiacs in the sky. And I know some of you are saying right now, he said zodiac in church. Yeah, I did. Zodiac is simply a word that comes from Greek, zodiakos, which means to move in a circular motion. That's all it means. There's nothing suggestive. There's nothing weird or odd about it. Let me ask you a question. Who created the universe? Who do we believe created the universe? Anybody? We believe that God did. So if you believe that God created the universe, that means He created every star. Okay. He created every planet. He created every galaxy. That means He created every constellation or zodiac because those were made of stars and planets. You see, God's the creator of the universe, not the enemy. You see, Satan cannot create. All he can do is distort what God has created. So God creates these constellations in the sky. He places these pictures there to tell us a story, to take us on a journey, to bring us back to himself. What does the enemy do? He reverses it. 
He distorts it through astrology, and he gets people to look at the stars, and he makes it focus on themselves. Folks, in this series, we're not talking about astrology. We're talking about astronomy, God's creation, and how he uses it to paint a picture in the sky. Come on. You know, there are 12 signs in the night sky, 12 main signs, and under each main sign is something called a decan or three sub-signs. You know, here's an interesting side note before we, before we continue. So there's 48 constellations in the sky. How is it that every major culture in history, when you look at their star chart, that's the Egyptian zodiac on the left side. On the right side is the Chinese zodiac. And if you look at them, although they live thousands of years apart from each other and thousands of miles from each other, they all have the exact same 48 constellations. How is that possible? It's possible because there's a designer behind the universe. So not only did God create the universe, but He designed it as well. And we're going to see right now in the book of Psalm and Isaiah that God, this is our second point, God designed the universe, and He designed it with a purpose, and that purpose was you. Why? Because God loves you on purpose. Come on, say it again. God loves you on purpose, and He wanted to make sure that no one ever, anywhere, missed out on the greatest message ever, which is the signs in the stars. Look at Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. The psalmist speaking of God says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. They weren't random. There was a purpose. There was a method. There was a reason. And Psalm 147.4 blew my mind when I began to prepare for these series of messages a number of years ago. And it says here that He determines the number of the stars, and He calls them each by name. Guys, that's a wow moment. I told you in my beginning talk that there are over 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone, and that there's a trillion galaxies which all contain those amounts of stars, and God says, not only did I make them all, I place them I even know them all by name. 400 billion. Some of you have four kids and you can't get their names straight. <laughs> Am I lying? How many parents have called their son Susie by accident? <laughs> oh my goodness, I had 50-something cousins. I got called everything but Joe. But yet God creates and names and places all of these stars and He says, I know them all by name. Why? Because I created it all with a purpose. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26 says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Now, some of you might say, well, Joe, you've given us all of these Old Testament verses. That's great, but is there anything in the New Testament? Does anyone else? Okay, you gave us one verse. Jesus mentions the sun, the moon, and the stars. Does anybody else talk about constellations? Or does anybody else talk about planets or space? Yeah, absolutely. The Apostle Paul does. In his big statement, he's writing in Romans chapter 10, and he's talking about his people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel who have fallen away from God. And they've fallen so far. And Paul says, have they fallen so far that they can never come back? And he says, no. 
And he says, how can these people, though, how can they call on the one that they haven't believed in? And how can they believe on the one that they haven't heard about? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can someone preach unless they go, unless they're sent? And then in verse 18 of Romans 10, Paul says, but did they not hear the message? Why is it that they don't believe? He said, well, of course they heard. And he says, their voice. Somebody's voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words went to the ends of the world. Thank goodness, right, that somebody's voice went out into all the world and preached the gospel. That's, that's great. But who was Paul referring to? Who actually went out and preached this gospel to Israel and to the rest of the world? Maybe he's talking about the, the ministers in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Maybe he's talking about apostles who went out. Maybe the prophets or the evangelists, the pastors or the teachers. That's not who he's talking about because that quote is taken from the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, chapter 19. Paul is quoting verses 1 and 4, and let me just quickly mention what he says. He says that the heavens proclaim, or they declare, they speak forth the glory of God. Hang on a second. Paul said that their voice went out into all the earth. Whose voice went? Who's speaking here? Creation. The heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, the planets. God says that they are declaring the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship, and day after day they continue to speak. Now, hang on a second, Joe. Are you saying that stars in space have voices and they speak? No. God is saying that the fact that they're there and they're part of this pattern, creating this image, telling a story, pointing you to a Savior, He says that night after night they are speaking and they are making Him known. They are speaking without a sound or a word. There is no speech or language where their voice has not been heard, yet their message has gone out throughout the earth and their words has gone into all the world. So according to Psalms, what is the purpose of creation? To declare, right? Declare what? The glory of God. So what is the glory of God? That's the million-dollar question. If we can figure out what the glory of God is, then we can understand that's why creation exists, because it's talking about that thing. But we're asking the wrong question. You see, the glory of God isn't a what. The glory of God is a who. The glory of God is a person, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says the following, the Son, S-O-N, not S-U-N, S-U-N. The Son is what? The radiance of God's glory, and He is the exact representation of His being. Friends, that means that God designed, God created the universe with one purpose and for one purpose, and that was to draw people towards His Son. Come on. That's the purpose of the heavens. God created, God designed the universe to point us towards His Son, Jesus. Why? Because He loves you on purpose. Are you getting that? God loves you on purpose. He chose to love you, and He chooses to love you. But He took it one step further. He created the universe. He planned the universe 
to operate in such a way that it would coordinate with the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, the third point about creation is this, that God planned the universe. Yes, He created it. Yes, He designed it by putting the stars in the sky in the right place, but then He actually planned it from the beginning, from the foundations of the earth. He placed certain constellations in the sky, and He caused them to coordinate with the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Guys, that's a huge wow. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. He said, there will be what? Signs. There will be constellations in the sky made up of the sun, moon, and stars. And in fact, he goes one step further. In Matthew 24, 30, he says, then will appear the sign, the zodiac, the constellation of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. So how do we see the sign? of the Son of Man. The first sign in the sky that I want to show you this morning, really briefly, is a sign called Bootes. Bootes. And now you're looking at it and you think it says booties, but it doesn't say booties. <laughs> it's Bootes. Bo is a Hebrew word and it means come. So you'll be on the beach in Tel Aviv in Israel and you'll hear people call their dogs, Bo, Bo, Bo. That's not the name of the dog. It's come, come. So the name of this figure means to come. And we're going to see different stars and what they mean. It actually means to come quickly. And if you look at this constellation, he's wearing a crown and he has a sickle in his hand. And look at what the Scripture says. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like what? The Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Guys, on every secular star chart, this is what that constellation looks like. And Jesus said, that serves as a sign for me and my coming. He is coming wearing a crown of gold, and He will come with a sickle in His hand. Exactly as He said, it's in the sky night after night. Let me give you one more example before we come to the close this morning. And this one is more familiar. This is called the image or the constellation of Scorpio. You've heard of this. And if you look on a chart, again, I don't care if the Chinese did it, if the Egyptians did it, if the Aztecs did it, all of them have the same chart, and there's a man standing over a scorpion. And in every picture, some are even more specific, the tail of the scorpion is in motion and is trying to hit the man on his heel. But with his other foot, he's getting it ready, he's about to step on the head of this enemy. Come on. The very first promise of the Messiah is this that the enemy will strike you in your heel, but you will crush his head. Amen. Jesus says, you will look to the stars and you will see the sign of the Son of Man. Guys, let me give you one more and then we're going to close this morning. The image of Virgo. But what I love is that although the constellation's name is Virgo in English, in every language known to man that's ever done a constellational chart, her name, no matter what they give her in her language, always means the same thing. It means virgin. And you're looking at that saying, okay, Pastor Joe, you had me, but why are you talking about a virgin in outer space? <laughs> what in the world does this have to do with the gospel? Look at what she's holding in her hand. Do you see what that is? That's a branch. 
And according to the book of Isaiah, the Messiah is called the branch, the root of Jesse, the son of David. He's a branch. That constellation is saying that one day a virgin will bring forth a branch who's the Messiah. Come on. The virgin birth of Jesus was prophesied at the beginning of time. Let me close this morning by encouraging you to do something this week. A lot of times we finish, you know, we pray, the band comes up and sings a song and we release you, and that's beautiful. We'll do it again. But today I want us to, to do something different. I want us to end a little bit differently. First of all, let me end with a quote, something the Lord gave me many years ago as I was studying these constellations. He said, Joe, I so love the world, for God so loved the world that He designed the universe to reveal the plan of salvation in the stars. God did this. God does this because He loves us on purpose, because He has a reason for each and every one of us here in this room. And whether you're watching online or you're watching on a, a device somewhere in a cafe or you're sitting here in this service and you are invited to come out today, you need to know this, that God loves you on purpose. that it was God's design and God's intent for you somehow, wherever you are, to be able to hear this message this morning. Now, I pray that you learn something new this morning. And what I want to ask you to do now as we close is I want to ask you to stand. And we're going to do something together here that I'm hoping we'll be able to carry on through the rest of the week until we come back and meet again next Sunday. This is my challenge to you. This is what I want you to do for the next seven days. Okay? I'm not asking for a year commitment, not even for a month's commitment. Can you give me seven days to do something? Give yourself seven days every morning when you wake up. Whether you're getting up to go to work, maybe you're retired, maybe you're whatever stage of life you're at, when you get up in the morning, before you swing those legs over the bed and you head for that coffee machine, which is what I do every morning. I want you to say this to yourself. I want you to say, God loves me on purpose. Every morning when you wake up, say, God loves me on purpose. And start to believe it and start to let that reside inside your spirit and say, God, you love me on purpose. You love me with purpose. You love me for purpose. And then start to speak it over people around you in your life. When you get to that workplace, you know that coworker that just, uh, oh, God loves him on purpose too. That person who cut you off on the way to work who didn't see the sign. Oh, God loves them on purpose too. Yeah, I think when we start to believe it, we will start to live it. So this week, till we come back again together next Sunday, every morning, and let's practice it now. Say, God loves me on purpose. Say it again. God loves me on purpose. Amen?